Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom. With me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. We got lots of questions on Facebook that we are going to go over. Actually, we've been getting a lot more on that email form. Yeah. That's we, awesome. We're trying to play catch up, so, uh, but we love it. So keep them coming. There's a link in the description of the podcast that you can ask us anything. Um, I just thought of this because I said, McBroom. I think about uh, there was a teacher in our school. He was like the computer teacher or something. He used to always say that I should be a football player because of my last name. And I thought that was the weirdest thing. He was like, can't you just picture that on the back of a jersey? And I was like, no. Yeah, I'm talking about Shula. No, it wasn't Shula. Shula's <laughs> so like, funny. Like uh, no, it was teacher. in Columbia. Oh. Um, I think he was a new teacher that filled in. Mm-hmm. Like he came mid-year and filled in for computer class. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was math, but it was in the computer lab or something. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there a math class where we had computers for some reason? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm tripping. I we, don't remember much. I mean, we school. had that bald guy. Uh, Mc, uh, Cor- Cor- McLeod or McLaird or yeah. something like that. McLaird. I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't him either. It was some guy. Um, but that also made I was talking to Shannon about this other day. Have you ever met a man over the age of even 40, but let's say 50, Yeah, with the name Cody? Oh, Lord, no. Never. Never. You ever That's met so it? weird. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. I was I telling her, I was like, I think when I you know hit 50, I got to change my name. She's like, wow. I was like, Grandpa Cody? <laughs> Code. I don't know. I mean, I, I, and I said, I was like, I would say CJ because that's my initials, but my brother-in-law's name is CJ. Yeah. No, that's that's weird. Nobody yeah. named Cody. Yeah, none. CJ's initials aren't even CJ. He's Craig Jr. Oh, so they call him CJ. Oh yeah. But it's like, well, that, there goes that name. I just have to complete Joe. I mean, Grandpa Joe. I mean, that's probably pretty normal. Yeah. But yeah, I thought Joe, that was so Joe's weird. more uh, new, neutral or yeah. Shannon was like, no, you're fine. I was like, name one person that you've met that is a grandpa named Are you trying Cody. to change your name, bro? When I become a grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, Cody is a young person's name. It for sure is, yeah. I kind of feel like it's an immature, immature name. Immature. I don't know about that. No, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anybody. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So, anyway. All right, cool. We have uh, a bunch of questions here. Let's uh, get right into it. We're going to start with Kelly Kelder. It says, all right, so... Weekly surplus versus daily sur- surplus for muscle growth. While it seems obvious that it that to be in a daily surplus would be better, my mind wa- uh, wonders whether being in a weekly surplus provide provides similar benefits. Yes and no. So the way I I mean this is obviously always you know it depends on blank right and in yeah. this case it's it depends on your goal like what is the purpose of you being in a surplus? So if somebody comes to me and they need to be in a surplus for hormonal reasons, like health purposes, like they've been dieting too long, they need to be slightly above maintenance or whatever, then I would be fine with going into a, like focusing on a weekly surplus, which essentially means that some days might be at maintenance, some days might be in a deficit and enough days are in big enough of a surplus that at the end of the week, your total weekly average caloric intake is indeed in a surplus. Um, and that would be okay because when we look at, uh, metabolic adaptation from dieting, 
uh, I think it would be overrun by the weekly average. So if you're in a severe deficit for two days, but then you're in a surplus the rest of the week, you're not going to see any metabolic adaptation. And I would assume the, the same applies in the reverse because metabolic adaptation goes either direction, but it's the same mechanism, right? So because of that, I would say if you're trying to increase testosterone, you're trying to fix your health marks, stuff like that, you'll probably be fine just focusing on weekly average. And if some days fall short, that's fine as long as you make up for it. But if your goal is muscle growth, then I think that's subpar because you can only build so much muscle, right? So you want to put yourself into a, an environment every single day that you are training in order to maximize hypertrophy. And, and I've talked to people about this where they're like, hey, it's easier for me to adhere to like a, a small surplus if I just have way more calories on the weekend because it gives me freedom and then I'll, I'll be at like maintenance or a little bit less during the week. And I'm like, that's just suboptimal for muscle growth because all week when you're training, you're not eating enough food to really maximize growth. And then on the weekend when you train less and you're filling your calories with freedom foods and alcohol and junk or whatever, you're having a ton of extra calories. Mm -hmm. It's not going to add to muscle growth because food, although can create, help create an anabolic environment, anabolic being growth environment, because it's, it's fueling muscle protein synthesis, glycogen replenishment, um, recovery. It doesn't literally build muscle. Like I don't drink a protein shake and build muscle. I build a, pro, I drink a protein shake and it might help me recover from what I did in the gym to build muscle. So if I'm not keeping my calories high throughout the week while I'm actually in the gym stimulating muscle growth, there's a problem there. So if your goal is muscle growth, I think your calories should be in that surplus every single day and you should focus on daily calories and macros. If your goal is maintenance or just you're just going into a weekly surplus for more health and flexibility purposes, I don't think it matters. Focus on a weekly um, average and, and you'll be totally fine. Um, but most of the time when people go into a surplus it's because they want to build muscle. Yeah. Right? If you're, if you're going to a surplus for health, I would say you shouldn't because if you're going to a surplus just for health and you're not pushing muscle growth, then you're not pushing those extra calories to do anything productive for you. So chase health by going to maintenance yeah. where you're going to maintain your weight, not gain weight. Um, but if you want muscle growth, and recover you recover hormones and yeah, exactly. And you can do that just as well at maintenance as a surplus. Um, but yeah, if your goal is muscle growth, which is most like the reason daily for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, the next one is going to come from Hannah. It says, I am 5'3", 125-pound female. This is kind of a long one. So, This past summer, I was in a calorie deficit, and in the past month, I have decided to move towards maintenance and a slight surplus with the goal of muscle growth. Oh, this is going to relate to the last question. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, in five months, I will be leaving for basic training, and I am concerned with losing the muscle I, ha I will ho hopefully have built while I am there for eight weeks. I will also be required to run a mile and a half. My goal is to get this done in 10 minutes or 10 minutes, 55 seconds to reach the highest PT standard. With these goals in mind, I would, uh, would it be more beneficial to reevaluate my nutrition and fitness goals? So she has been on a journey to gain muscle. She's been in a surplus. Uh, this past summer I was in a calorie deficit in the deficit. past month. I've decided to go towards maintenance and a surplus. Okay. And she's worried about leaving and losing some muscle. Mm -hmm. um, eight weeks is technically long enough to see some muscle tissue degradation in uh, neurological uh, decline as far as like muscle growth because strength is, is primarily neurological. Um, not a lot. You know, I would say a month is, is probably where you start to see those. So like if somebody's missing three to four weeks, I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. You're not going to, you're going to lose muscle glycogen. So you're going to lose carbohydrates in the muscle, which you can just go have a, a day of sushi and water and training and you'll be fine. You know, you'll replenish, you'll be good. Um, after four weeks, we do start to see a little bit of a decline in muscle. 
However, we can mitigate that by general activity and eating enough protein. So I definitely wouldn't worry about it. And this is usually when I'm having this conversation, I'm warning people about after the, the effects of after four weeks, it's because of injury. So I'm like, hey, you can't, you literally can't train anything for that long. But knowing that you're not injured, do push-ups in your room. You know what I mean? Like, it, it don't like exhaust yourself before you go out on the runs and you're doing the basic training and stuff. But if the basic training, which I would imagine is going to involve hiking, climbing, crawling, push-ups, probably burpees, squats, jumps, runs, sprint, you're going to maintain muscle. You're activating a lot of muscle tissue with that. Um, in fact, like if you're climbing, you're using your back. If you're pre- doing push-ups, you're using your chest. If you're doing burpees, you're using head-to-toe muscles. Not my favorite exercise, but you're doing stuff. You know, it's good for like... I'm assuming she's saying basic training like military, right? Yep, I would assume, yep. So you're probably going to be doing that. And I think that's a great exercise for military. I mean, that's probably like the best place for that exercise to be. Um, and then running all those things, you're going to be fine. So my advice would be uh, if, if you're covering all your bases there, great. If not, maybe bring a band, do some band pull-aparts because that's probably the only thing that's going to be missing there. Maybe do some push-ups, some air squats in your room. You're not going to lose any muscle because you're ma- – like what it takes – they actually did a study on this and it's crazy – you, they needed one eighth of the amount of volume somebody was doing in order to maintain muscle, mm. which is nothing. A fraction. A fraction. So if you're doing eight sets per muscle group per week, that's one set, you know, which is on the lower end. So let's say you're doing 16 sets per muscle group per week, which is a good amount of sets. You know, 20 is on the high end, 10 is on the low end. So 16 is like a high average amount of sets per muscle group per week. You would do two sets per week of that muscle group. So one day you do – a set of squats, another day you do another set of squats. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're going to maintain your quality, which is crazy. Totally. But also it shows us like they're just sending a signal to the muscle. Now, the study was eight weeks long, which granted is actually how long you were uh, there. Um, I'm almost positive it was eight weeks long, maybe 12 weeks, but most likely eight because most studies are about six to eight weeks long. So would the effects be different post eight weeks? Maybe. I would probably say yes because you're getting further and further down that spectrum of not doing much training. However, you're only gone for eight weeks, so that's perfect for you. You don't have anything to worry about. You could literally just barely do anything, and then as long as you have a high protein intake while you're gone, which it should be easy to do because I'm sure they're feeding you protein, but also you can just bring bars, shakes, dried meats, so like jerky and stuff like that. It's easy to bring, store anywhere. You don't need a fridge. You'd be fine. You know, um, a a normal size bag of jerky. I mean, if you get like, okay, there's like the, you know, the gas station will have like the smaller one then they have like the big one. I'll go get a big one for road trip stuff. You actually calculate the macros on those. It's like 90 to hundred grams of protein, which is a fuck ton of protein. Yeah. That's like almost a whole day for some people. Um, that's half of my day. So that's a lot of protein. So you could bring like a couple bags of those or like realistically, let's say you stocked up on them. You could bring a lot of bags, but I mean, you bring some jerky, you bring some protein powder and protein bars. You're gonna be set. They're gonna feed you. So trying to get your body weight or more in protein, doing a little bit of activity. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. Hopefully you're not flying. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh yeah, no <laughs> shit. Cause I got stopped. I didn't told the people on that uh, on the podcast. So if you follow my Instagram, you saw it, but I got uh, some serious, um, hold up. Hold up. Yeah. What, did, what would they call that? I mean, a pat down, but uh, yeah. they didn't strip search me. They just searched just me aggressively. But my protein powder, yeah, my protein powder triggered the alarm. I, it was a 6.30 a.m. flight, and they stopped me, and I was late. So I literally had 15 minutes to get to my flight. They stopped me, pulled my bag aside, pulled everything out, searched everything through it. Um, they kept testing all my vitamins. Then they tested my protein. Then a bomb specialist came <laughs> to take a sample of my protein. Um, and I knew it was real when the guy was like, all right, come over here. I need to search you. And then he looked at me, he goes, do you want me to take you in a private room for this? And I was like, you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and so first of all, I'm like, no, I don't let everybody see it. I don't yeah. care. I was like, dude, my flight leaves in 10 minutes. 
do whatever you got to do. Yeah. And he was just like, all right, hike your pants up real high so I can see. And I'm like, fuck. So I had to pull him way up so you could like, I mean, so they got tight, you know, yeah. so you could see if there's anything there. And then, I mean, dude, he was in between and everything. Like it was, I've never been searched like that. Dude, what was the private room for? If I, like, if I didn't want people seeing him grope me, Oh, you know, I also didn't know. I was like, are you going to make me take my pants? Yeah. Because like, <laughs> I'm that's going what, home. <laughs> well, I was going to be, I mean, really, I was like, I'm going to be late for my flight. If I take, if you take me to a private room, I will miss my flight. Yeah. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, well, if I got to take my pants off in front of everybody, I mean, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. But, uh, but he didn't have to take on my pants, thankfully. Um, but he definitely searched me quite a bit. And the funny thing is he's, he's, he's like patting me down and he literally, cause I was like, bro, this, I was like, you guys can throw away the protein powder. Like, I don't need it that bad. I need to get on my flight. And he's like, well, now that we, it triggered, we can't let you leave until we verify it's safe. And he's like, so I said that and he's like, we can't. And then he's patting me down. He literally goes, so are you want a cut or a bulk? And I'm just like, dude, I got to get my flight. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, why you're like groping me up and down searching me. You're going to ask me if I'm cutting or bulking. <laughs> That's fucking weird, bro. That is so weird. <laughs> I was dying. I literally like chuckled. I was like, really? It's like nothing, man. Just healthy. Maintaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just eat a healthy diet. Uh, but the protein bars didn't trigger it. The oatmeal didn't trigger it. It's just much better. Lady next to me was funny. She got her, her purse got stopped like real quick. She's walking by. And she saw the bags and they were like, so I had two sandwich bags filled. So there was like multiple scoops in each one, but it was like packed, right? Of white vanilla protein. And she just laughs and she goes, what do you think he's going to take that much cocaine casually on the plane? <laughs> and I just like looked at her like, fuck. And I, then I laughed. I was like, no shit. Yeah. Like, really? You just, I'm just going to waltz on. I mean, I guess there's some morons yeah, out there, man. I mean, who knows? But what an experience. Yeah. So that's why I said yeah. Hopefully it's not flying. I still recommend people bring protein on the plane because it's not a big deal, you know, and because uh, I do it all the time um, as well. And this is also a good uh, plug for our sponsor, Legion, since it was their protein that had me strip search. And I still did make my flight, by the way. Um, but the sponsor of this podcast, we might as well take a minute to shout them out. That is Legion Athletics. So, guys, if you are taking supplements, which it is a 95 percent chance that you are taking something for your health, for your performance, for your recovery, for something. And at the end of the day, Legion has literally every type of supplement that you need. Um, they use the best quality ingredients and they have the highest quality standard because their board of advisors is absolutely phenomenal and just ridiculously knowledgeable. So if you guys want the best supplements on the market, um, if you want to get strip shirts next time you try to bring them on a plane, just kidding, they hopefully won't do that to you, um, and have all of your health needs and performance needs taken care of, head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom. You can get my code there. You can see what I'm taking, and you can save 20% on your first order. Hell yeah. All right, let's get to the next question. Is from Balance with Brenda. How to refocus your energy towards your goals when self-belief is lacking? Hmm. Stack up mini wins. Is like, like my, that. I think my like simple way of putting it. I think that, uh, so I have this idea that I've shared a couple times on my like Instagram story and stuff lately about self-belief. And I think you're going to acquire greater amounts of self-belief the more you focus on eliminating self-doubt, right? Because these are the opposite things, right? Obviously, self-belief helps you take action, do more, create more, be more successful, so on and so forth. Self-doubt stops you from taking action to get anywhere, right? It's what limits your belief. So the best way to enhance self-belief is to eliminate self-doubt. The only way to eliminate self-doubt is to stack many wins. And the reason for that is because if you do what you said you were going to do, 
you believe in yourself more. So the reason people have self-doubt and they lack self-belief is because they have a shitty track record of success and of taking action. And what I mean by that is every time I tell myself I'm going to do this and I don't, I give one point to self-doubt, take away a point from self-belief. Essentially, Point system, yeah. right? I mean, if you look at it like that, but it, it literally is because then when I go to set a big goal, the first thing in my head is going to go, man, you're not going to do that. You said this last time. Mm-hmm. Every time you say you're going to do something, you don't do it. Every time you set a goal, you never finish it. Every time you set a new year's resolution, you quit by February. Like the list goes on because my track record is horrible. Why? Because I keep setting goals that maybe I don't have the skill to do or the belief to do or the support to do or whatever it may be. But every time I fail in my pursuit to accomplish something, I limit my self-doubt and I fuel, I'm sorry, I limit my self-belief and I fuel my self-doubt. Yeah. And it's hard for me to say, well, just take action and accomplish it and it'll pick up, right? Because it's unrealistic. You already have a bad track record, right? And if we're setting big goals, that might be tough. So there's a few things to do here. The first one is mini goals, right? Set up mini goals, take little actions and just accomplish them. So instead of me setting some big, massive target, I'm going to say, you know what? Every day this week, I'm going to take my fish oil in the morning. If we're talking about nutrition and health, yeah. right? Very simple. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to get 30 minutes more of sleep, whatever, just one thing. Instead of me saying, I'm going to start this diet, track my macros, carb cycles, start this new training program, drink a gallon of water every day, and take my supplements every morning. It's too many things at once. It's overwhelming. Even if you feel good at the beginning, most people will burn out quick. You have to stack those habits. And if you look at most people who, like myself, and you're like, man, you do all these things that you've created habits around, they're just routine now, I don't think about them because I did them one at a time over years, realistically. And now taking supplements, following a nutrition plan, tracking macros, consistency in the gym, all that shit, it's just normal for me because it's part of my lifestyle. So I really think it comes down to setting smaller goals. And if we're talking business or success, things like that, it's it's like if if journaling is the habit, maybe it's literally writing one person you're grateful for on a piece of paper. Like, if you can't take 10 seconds to say, I am grateful for my wife or for my husband or for my partner or whoever, that's, I mean, that's just laziness. You know what I mean? That's one line. But eventually, maybe it leads into three things. Now you have a full gratitude journal. Three things you're grateful for. Then maybe you go, all right, I'm going to add a positive affirmation to that. Right now, I'm going to add a to-do list. The three most important things for my day, right? Eventually, you have basically what I'm listing out is what we have in the Tailored Life Journal. But like the whole thing, you've done it all. But it started with just writing one single thing. So build those habits very slowly and just small habits, not from the sense of like, these habits are going to change your life, but the, the process of being successful in acquiring those things and actually doing what you said you were going to do, it fuels your self-belief so that you can do bigger things eventually because your track record is more successful. Um, the other thing is accountability, right? Whether you hire a coach or it's public accountability, you post on Instagram, your story, what you're doing, you're in the gym. Like you can literally go to the gym, take a picture of the leg press and just tag the place day one. Like nobody has to respond. Nobody has to react. Nothing. Somebody sees it, right? Whether you have a hundred followers or a hundred thousand followers, somebody will see that you went to the gym and you posting it. That shows you accountability. Even if you don't know who's all seeing it, that is your accountability of I am doing it. It is out there. People see it. That's accountability. That's going to help you because that fuels more action. Again, the more you take action consistently and actually follow through with what you're going to do, the more self-believe you have in yourself because you've proven to yourself that you can actually do it. For sure. So I think uh, essentially the, the way of getting back on the horse is what she's asking, right, is setting up some small-ass goals, little things, and put it out there if you need some accountability. Randy, you have a coach. You work with us, so I know this. 
put those things out to the coaching group you're in, put those out to your personal coach on our team and, and make that accountability known and public so that you take action on whatever it is you say you're doing. Um, and maybe even do the red X trick, you know, like take a calendar and every day you do it, mark a red X. So on the day where you're like, fuck, I really don't feel like doing this. And then you look over and you see all the red X's and you're like, I gotta do it. I don't want to break my streak, you know? Yeah. And you do it. Yeah. So, um, breaking that streak has got to mean enough to you. Yeah. To do it. I think, I think when you see the streak, I think it reminds you of that too. Sure. You know what I mean? It's harder. It's, it's easier. A, it's easier. Not to do it if it, you don't see it. Yeah. hundred percent. And there's something psychological about the, I mean, it could be a green X. It doesn't matter if it's red, <laughs> but I think the first per, person who created it originally just did red X and that's yeah. why it's the red X theory. But, um, it's just habit stacking, right? It's all it is. It's habit tracking. And then eventually you can do habit stacking, which is basically tying another habit to that habit. But, um, it's, it's really just, it's just having a better follow through so that you can look back at yourself and go, you know what? Like I do what I said, I'm going to, I did what I said I'm going to do. And I always do what I say I'm going to do. So that's why I'm going to do this, you know? And when you look at it this deep too, you don't just set goals randomly. I think some people like, well, New Year's resolution, I'm going to do this this year. And like, if you really sat down and talked to them and have a conversation with them, they're like, I don't give a fuck about that. So don't set the goal because when you set a goal that you don't care about, you know you're not going to do it. Yeah. Then you don't follow through with it. And then you prove to yourself that you're- I didn't care about it. Exactly. Yeah. And that you can't consistently do shit. You don't consistently follow through with what you said you if were going to do. If you're trying to prove to yourself that you can do shit, then set it, like you're saying, set a goal that you do care about. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then use all these little tactics as a way to just make sure that you're consistent with it. Yep. But that's really all it comes down to. It's just figuring out ways to do what the fuck you told yourself you're going to do. Yeah. Stop lying to yourself. Touche. I want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take a whey protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a greens drink, a fish oil, whatever it is. Legion probably has it. And they are going to be using science-backed ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab tested, made in the U.S., and you're going to get a money-back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion, and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's going to come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find, and they trust Amazon reviewers. And don't get me wrong, if something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome. But you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use the stuff on a regular basis. So guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boom boom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. All right, so let's go to the next one from Paige Bob. I think you may have. Uh, what does touche mean? Like, I agree, or is absolute, it French? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I know what it means because I say touche, yeah. but I'm like, what does it literally mean? Yeah, it's. What does it translate to? All right, 
Read me the question. <clears throat> Used as an acknowledgement during a discussion. Used as an acknowledgement of a hit by one's opponent. <laughs> oh, and fencing. That's yeah. where it's originally from. Ah. It's French. Literally means touched. <laughs> Past participle of toucher. Weird. Used as an acknowledgement during a discussion of a toucher. good or clever point made Touch. at one's expense by Touch other Touche. <laughs> yeah, that's actually my It word. is. Yeah. T O U C H E. Well, that means in French, maybe maybe t- uh, to be touched, it's touched. Or toucher <laughs> is toucher. You're killing know. me. But that's like, you know, in fencing where they're like, yeah. they like, touch you? It's like, touche. Yeah, I win. Okay. You got it. Okay. So this next one comes from Paige Bob and B A B B. Um, I am in need of some guidance. I was just in a cut for about four months, and at the end of August, I started school. I want to go back to maintenance and try to stay close to the weight I'm at. When school started, my activity level shot up, and I slowly started to increase my calories. I'm about three weeks in. I have already gained three pounds, and I have only upped my calories by 100 I feel like I am doing something wrong, and I am trying to do this slowly, but I am having lots of cravings. Is that it? Yep. Okay. So she cut for four months. She is reverse dieting now. She's up 100 calories? Yep. And over how long? Uh, Three weeks. I think you're going too slow. I think think that's the problem, Paige. I think you're going too slow. (laughs) Not your reading. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, reading geez. too slow, Travis. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Correct me on air, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think if your body is sending you signals, biofeedback points of I am hungry, I am stressed, I am training poorly, I am craving, give your body more food. You know, 100 calories should be, that's like on the slow, slow end per week. So if I have somebody who I'm reverse dieting, I'll bump up 100 calories every week, every two weeks. Um she also said she gained some weight from it, right? Yeah. How much did she gain? From three, pa- three pounds. So I would be curious to see if that lasted. Because um, there's there's a few scenarios here. Like number one, if you're dieting and you bump up 100 calories, one of two things is happening. Either A, that is water and from carbohydrates, so water retention, um, or there is something else at factor. Maybe... You started reverse dieting, also bumped up 100 calories. You bumped up 100 calories in the reverse diet, also started a new training program that had more volume. So there's some like systemic inflammation on your muscles and you started taking creatine, right? So we have three points of water retention at once and that might cause this. Um, The other thing it could be is body fat, but the only way that would be body fat is if you didn't actually increase 100 calories and you miscalculated something or misweighed and you increased significantly more because- 100 calories is still within range of your deficit that you are not going to gain body fat from that. I promise you. Because the truth of the matter is this. Like if you went from, for easy math, 2,000 calories to 1,200 calories, this big deficit over that time, and then you went from 1,200 to 1,300, you're still so far away from your maintenance, both previous maintenance and your new maintenance, you wouldn't gain three pounds of fat that quick. It's impossible. Even if 1,200 really was your new maintenance, you would still not gain three pounds that quick. You would gain maybe a half a pound of body fat. It's just the, the, the when we look at thermodynamics and the, the actual math behind the numbers here, it just doesn't add up. So, and that's a good thing. I know it might be confusing because now you're like, what the fuck? But I, it's not fat. There's just no way. So it's probably water retention. 
from, like I said, carbohydrates or because if you're increasing 400 calories, that's 25 grams of carbohydrates. That's going to be uh, 100 to 150 grams of water plus the carbohydrates. So you are going to gain a little bit of water weight from that. Three pounds is pretty excessive. So um, there's something probably going on. You know, there's probably another layer to this that you're not looking at. Like I, I see this a lot. People adjust or see a fluctuation. They're like, fuck, this is the only thing that happened. I'm like, all right, well, let's look at the whole picture. Okay, looking at your sleep, you've actually been sleeping way less. What's going on? Well, I've had stress at work. I'm working late nights. Okay, that's going to add to this factor. I see that your steps dropped. Well, I've been so busy at work, I haven't been able to go on my walks. Okay, so your activity is lower on top of bad sleep and stress. And we just started a new training program, right? Right. So you're pretty sore? Yeah. And we added calories. While your activity day-to-day is lowering, your stress is going up, your sleep is going down, like it's a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. But people just look at the macros and the weight, and then they forget to see all these other points. So just remember that macros and weight, those are each one. So two metric points out of, I think I did this with a client yesterday. I was like, we're tracking 11 metrics every day. It sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Calories, protein, fats, carbs, weight, sleep, stress, performance, cravings. Biofeedback too. Biofeedback too. Okay. But the point is, is I was like, we have 11 things on here that you're either tracking from a number perspective or like ranking how many hours, how much stress, all that stuff. And weight is one thing. So you're super stressed about one out of 11, which means all these 10 other markers are actually spot on. You're sleeping better, you're training better, your measurements look better, your pictures look better, your macros are on point, your weight fluctuated and you're stressed. It's one fucking thing. It's not more important than any of the other macros. It's not less important, but no matter what, because these are all created equal, realistically, we can't focus on one or let one get us upset. Now, if your macros are inconsistent, your weight is up, your measurements are up, your pictures don't look like you're progressing, and your sleep is shit, well, majority of your, me- your metrics are in a bad place. Now let's go, okay, like let's reconstruct the program and the diet because something's off. Um, but you can't stress out about that one thing. So uh, I, would, I would just say in general, don't worry about it. Um, I think I would probably, knowing what I know from my experience, usually when I see a weight fluctuation um, and it's somebody who's just got done with a diet, they're low calorie, ready reverse. We see a jump. I'm usually trying to control stress and recovery and I'm more inclined to go, hey, let's just keep bumping carbs up instead of letting this freak us out. Because usually you'll bump carbs up, cortisol will drop, you'll drop water weight and you actually start losing. And we just get you moving more. Steps, training, all that. Damn. So Yeah. So, I mean, the typical client, I'm assuming, is that's one of the if not the, but one of the metrics they're going to focus on. Wait. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 90% of people. Yeah. It's hard not to, yeah. you know, it's even, I mean, a lot of times because that's the only thing people track. So who knows what she's tracking? You know, a lot of people wake, they track macros in my fitness pal. They wake up, step on the scale. That's their main point of, am I successful today? What does the scale say? You know, whereas a lot of our clients are going, that's one point, but where else am I successful? Let's look at everything. And then when we track our weight every single day, we also see that, and this is another thing I'd ask her. Are you taking your weekly average? Because a lot of times people will go, I weigh in every Thursday. I'm like, okay, well, what happens on Wednesday nights? Well, that's our wine night. Okay, why would you weigh in the night before, after wine night, right? Or I gained a pound this week. Well, what did you do the night before weigh-in? Well, we had our family dinner and I actually didn't cook, so I just tried my best to track. I'm like, well, you don't know what you ate. And there's probably more sodium in there. Who knows? Yeah. You know, but if you weigh yourself every single day and then we just see one random day shoot up, we can just erase that from the the weekly average because we know it's inaccurate and we'll just take the rest of them and take our weekly average and we have an accuracy, uh, an accurate weigh in. So, yeah. um, yeah. And I, but this is, I mean, this is part of the, part of the course with coaching, right? You, we have all these things that we look at to create a bigger picture and more detailed outlook. So people 
don't freak out. Yeah. Right. And it's easier said than done for me uh, to just be like, don't worry about the scale. So understand better. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, next question is going to come from John Johnson. Jen Johnson, not John. Jen Johnson, sorry. Uh, she says, I'd love to know if all your clients track macros inside your company or if you ever work with clients in other ways outside of macros. No and yes. But majority do. Every once in a while we get somebody who doesn't. So does everybody in my company track macros? 95% or more do. I would say that's what we specialize in. So I mean, the answer we, is no. Yeah. The, the answer is no, not everybody, but the vast majority do. And I would even venture out to say the, the 5% maybe who don't are, are one of two people. Yeah. They're people who are not yet and we're teaching how, or they're people who have already achieved their result and we're shifting them to intuitive eating before they go and do this on their own because they don't want to track macros for the rest of life, which is, that's cool, right? We got your result using macros. We reverse dieted you using macros. Now we're going to show you how to remove macros so you can go on about your life and maintain the result without tracking, right? That's, or do it again. Yeah. And if you do do it again, you'll know how to do the whole process, yeah. right? And then some people come to us not understanding how to track, never have tracked before. And it's like, hey, let's educate you on food, quality, source, measuring, all that kind of stuff so that we can use macros. Because here's the reality. And this is why our company primarily uses it. And this is also why when people come to us and they're like, I don't want to track macros or macros is tedious or macros is um, obsessive or whatever, like all the things they've heard, we show them that it's not. We show them that it creates more flexibility and we show them that it creates more control which is going to give you control over the result because macros aren't a diet. They're a tool, right? So we typically try to get everybody, no matter what, using them at some point because it's the only way as a nutrition coaching company that we can guarantee a result. Mm-hmm. It really is. So if we can teach you how to use them effectively and teach you how to adhere to them properly, we know for a fact we can get you to the result because numbers don't lie. If we're intuitively doing something, we're guessing, plain and simple. Because we have to say, hey, try to aim for about a handful of this. And then what happens when you plateau? You can't be more intuitive because you don't get that level of intuition unless you track macros for a long time. So I could probably, I still wouldn't because it'd be less effective, but I could probably go through a cut and lose a little bit of weight if I wanted to by being intuitive. It'd be really hard, but I would have to consciously be like, I'm going to eat less of this. And I know how much of this this is from a caloric perspective because I've tracked so long. But most people don't have that knowledge. So when you hit a plateau, if you're intuitive eating, I have one option. Stop eating that. Because if I tell you to, hey, I want you to remove that, that cup of rice after your workout, or I want you to remove the oatmeal from your breakfast or whatever, I'm, I know I'm cutting calories. But you associate that as uh, being somebody who has less knowledge, a client who has less knowledge about nutrition and fad diets and all that kind of stuff. They attribute that as, oh, I want to lose fat. Oatmeal is not good for fat loss because he told me to stop eating oatmeal. Right? No, I just want you to stop eating the 40 grams of carbs in the morning, which is going to cut X amount of calories, and that's going to lead to a positive result. You know what I mean? So typically, we try to get people to use macros so that they can see the truth. They totally. can see what actually works, and then we can guarantee a result. And this is what we tell people. It's like, hey, we can try to do this intuitively, but I explain exactly what I just explained to this on this podcast to that person. I'm just like, if you are open to learning about macros, I promise you after a few weeks, it'll be easy to do. I promise you'll be able to eat the food you love. You'll still be able to have your wine night. You'll still be able to have pizza with kids every once in a while. We just fit it into the plan. But now I can actually guarantee a result, right? And the other way, I can't guarantee a result because we're guessing. We're literally just throwing something and hoping it sticks. You know, crossing our fingers and hoping that your intuitiveness will pay off or that you can continue being healthy. And that's the biggest problem with it. Why would you 
go to somebody like us or want a coach if you just want to do it intuitively. And doing it intuitively is not doing it with a coach. Exactly. There are intuitive eating coaches out there. And, and mind Moral you. Moral support? That's basically it. I mean, that's. <laughs> I'm I mean, not even trying to be funny. I'm just. That's, like, I mean, that's it. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of yeah. somebody who isn't a coach who is looking at it like, why the fuck? Yeah. That's it. Um, and mind you, uh, like Ariel's uh, certified as an intuitive eating specialist. Like she is. And she still certified is like. moral supporter. You need macros. Yeah. You know no, what I mean? Totally. So she's a perfect example because she attracts a lot of those people and then she shifts them because she, she shows them the proper way to do it. And this is what I tell people too. It's like, look. If we're going to do this, let's do it the right way. Let's do it a way that actually works. Intuitive eating from a coaching perspective is the problem with intuitive eating is this. The majority of people, there's two camps that really, really promote intuitive eating. Um, I would say three camps. There's three camps. One camp is the dietitian, right? And, and mind you, we have somebody who is, is like inches away from becoming a dietitian. She's almost done with everything. Shout out to Haley um, on our staff. But, you know, most dietitians promote that kind of stuff. Now, let's look at the majority of who dietitians are, right? Haley's an outlier, obviously, because she likes bodybuilding. She likes sports performance. She likes endurance stuff. She tracks macros, so on and so forth. Most dietitians get into it because they are extremely fascinated with human physiology. They're extremely fascinated with produce, yeah. vitamins, minerals. So when you hire them for a diet, they're more likely to say, hey, let's fill you up with nutrients. Let's get you vibrant. Let's get you feeling good. Let's strengthen your immune system. And you're over here saying like, cool, I want that, but I also want to lose fucking weight. I want to be lean. Mm-hmm. Like that's my goal. So they will go the route of, well, if you just eat well and you just pr- like focus on organic foods and stuff. The problem with that is this person is really, really into that kind of stuff. So it's easy for them to adhere to that. The person that hires them for weight loss is not into organic produce and farming and sourcing vitamins and shit like that. They don't care about that. They want to lose weight. So there's a a uh, there's a there's a a huge gap and a contrast there, right? So these these people are promoting it. Then there's the other person that's promoting it, who is an ex physique athlete, ex extremist, who did track macros, did follow rigid plans, did do all that stuff, was shredded, and now lives like comfortably lean, but not as shredded as they were. So I, we see this a lot with like competitors or people who had like eating disorders from, from basically getting shredded or dieting too much and stuff. But now here they are at this point where they're still lean. They can still see their muscle. They're not overweight and they're eating more food. They're not tracking. So they're not obsessive over food. So they're saying that macros lead to eating disorders. Macros lead to obsessiveness. You should be intuitively eating. Mind you, the people that they're tracking that want help are overweight, have never chronically dieted or, or tracked macros before, and they're confused on how to get to yeah. where they want to be. And this person's saying, no, you can get lean with intuitive eating. And I'm saying, no, you got lean with restrictive eating for a long period of time, and now because you went too far, you're telling people that they can't use restrictive patterns, quote unquote, to get lean, when in reality a deficit is quite literally restricting calories. Yeah. So let's find a more balanced approach of restricting calories so you can lose weight, not get obsessive about it, and use it as a tool. Um, so Macros. another person that people can't relate to because they're already lean from something else and now they're promoting intuitive eating as a way to get lean, which is not what they did to get there. And then the third camp is people who don't give a shit about fat loss. They don't care about um, building muscle, any of that. They just care about health. And they could be a little overweight and they're fine with that. And that's cool. Like I'm totally fine with that. But it's also not the right message to send people who want to lose weight. Because if you want to lose weight, you need structure. You need to calculate how to get there. It's, it's methodical measures are the only way to get there, right? What gets measured gets managed. Like that basically means if you're tracking it, you can control the outcome. 
these people, I have nothing wrong with. I just think that their message can be confusing at times. So I had a bunch of these people comment on my post when I said, uh, I wrote that post that said basically the vast majority of in people promoting intuitive eaters are influencers who got lean by other doing other things and now they're like promoting this, right? Yeah. And a lot of them were like, you're missing the point. That's not what intuitive eating is about. Intuitive eating is about health. I was like, did you read the whole caption? Because I literally said intuitive eating isn't a fat loss tool. It's a tool to maintain your weight and stay healthy once you've reached your fat loss goal. So all these people who are promoting intuitive eating um, for health, they're not wrong, but they're, they're pushing their message onto people who want to lose fat. And they need to accept that if somebody wants to lose fat, that's okay. But if I was like, hey, I don't want to track my for the rest of my life. I don't want to get any leaner. I don't want to build any muscle. I just want to be healthy. Dope. Intuitive eating is perfect. I can focus on intuitively eating well to maintain my weight. But when somebody wants to change their weight, they can't do that. They've intuitively eaten themselves to a... A weight that they don't like. Exactly. Yeah. I was trying to like yeah. filter how I was going to say that, but that's exactly it. You know, when I went to get into my weight loss journey, I used measuring and, and meal plans and I tried to find a system until I found macros that actually worked for me because, well, I intuitively ate myself until I was fat. I just ate what I wanted to eat because intuitively I thought that sounded good. I'm going to eat that. You know what I mean? That's what people do intuitively. <laughs> I had to go learn about nutrition. Yeah. Right. And I did lose some weight without tracking, but it's also because I switched my degree and started going to school for health and fitness. Like, I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's an I outlier. Mean, I'm not saying you were obese, but I'm just saying like at some point, like if you just eat one fast food cheeseburger a week instead of five. 100%. You'll lose some weight. Yeah, 100%. You know I mean? And that's but basically what I did. I, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. like restrict a little bit. Yeah. And so, e even a little bit. Yeah. Some people can't have that level of discipline. Yeah. Right? So and that's where flexible eating comes in. It's like, okay, if we know you can't last more than this many days without eating something on this like probably not good for you list, let's fit that in on day three so we don't get to that point. But we're going to fit it into your calories because we know calories in versus calories out wins. Otherwise, what happens is they go to drive through and they so instead of saying, I'm just going to have one cheeseburger, they go, fuck it. I'm already here. I'm just going to get the fries. Give me the Big Mac. Might as well get a milkshake because I'm already fucking up my diet. You know, they don't understand that. You know what? Actually, if you just had the Big Mac, not the fries and the milkshake, you'd actually be closer to your calorie equation. And you probably, Jordan Syatt. Yeah. One of my good friends. He yeah. did, uh, it was at least a month. It was like 30 days or six days or something like that. He ate a Big Mac every fucking day. Yeah. And lost weight. And he did a document on YouTube. Gross. I hate fucking McDonald's. But he did it to prove a point, his calories, like his health markers were fine, stuff like that. So I'm glad he did it, you know, but, um, but yeah, so we, we tend to steer everybody there because it's, it's what science proves to work. It eliminates fad diets. It eliminates restricting food. It eliminates guessing. It, it, it guarantees a result as long as it's predictable and it teaches people what the fuck they're doing so that they can be intuitive if they want to down the road, you know, or if they want to continue to do macros, they know how to do it. Yeah. All right, that's good, man. Let's uh, let's go to the next one here. We got one from Morgan Lee. It says, I am curious on your opinion on cardio programming. Do you feel there is a difference difference doing multiple shorter duration cardio sessions versus one long duration in, in a week? For example, having a client do three times 20-minute sessions per week or one 60-minute uh, session? Yes, depending on the experience level of the person. So it also depends on what we're talking about here, you know? So like briefly, because otherwise I'll go into a rabbit hole of, of programming aerobic training. But if we're talking about energy system development and like actually just training your body, not fat loss, not burning calories, anything like that, it is vastly different because 
uh, at 20 minutes, you're like just starting to tap into like a, a good aerobic stimulus. 60 minutes is more of like a full 40 to 60 minutes is like, okay, now you're really in it, you know? Um, so I like, you're going to develop your aerobic system with 20 minutes, but you will build a bigger aerobic capacity, a build, build a better aerobic base and get more out of it from a aerobic training perspective. If you did 60 minutes of aerobic training, so a 60 minute run or, um, like on the minute or every other minute on the minute, you're doing something right. So maybe it's a minute sled pull, minute break, minute farmer's walk, minute break, minute sled pull, minute break. You know what I mean? You could do that or you can do 10 minutes of assault bike, five minute break, 10 minute row, five minute break, 10 minute run, five minute break, 10 minute sled, five minute break, 10 minute skiered, five minute break in total. That is like 40 to 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's a great, that's actually better in my opinion than just doing one thing for 60 minutes. But that's different than a 20 minute session, you know? It, so it is different from an energy perspective. Now, if we're just talking about burning calories, I think most people would take a reductionist point of view to this and just say, you know, at the end of the day, that 20, 20, 20 adds up to the same amount of calories, um, maybe even more. And that's where I would say it kind of depends because let's say if you did a 60 minute bout, but after 30 minutes, you start really slowing down because you're getting tired and you burn less calories in the last 30 minutes than the first 30 minutes. Rather, if you split it up into three 20-minute sessions and you kept your energy and your performance high throughout the whole 20 minutes, you might actually burn more calories. Um, the caveat to that is there are there is some research that shows like when we consider uh, like fat loss specifically, especially if somebody's in a pretty good deficit and we look at like fat utilization. So when we talk about like endurance runners use fat for fuel because they're running long distances, a lot of times they burn through carbohydrates first because carbohydrates are our main fuel source. And then they start tapping into fat substrates like 40 minutes in. So in that case, I would say, hey, I don't know if I would do 20, 20, 20 for somebody fat loss because um, if we're, we're trying to burn fat purely and we're trying to get them through this diet and get them to the last stages. There is some research to show like post 40 minutes, you're going to be primarily using just fat because you've burned through blood glucose and in the readily available glycogen, you know, that you have. So I'd almost rather them do 60 minutes because at that point I know they've burned through their glycogen. They're really starting to burn fat for a solid amount of time. Whereas 20 minutes, they might just burn carbs and then move on. Right. And if we're looking at fat loss, we do want to start tapping into other fuel sources. And that kind of goes back to like the podcast we did with Rachel, like talking about metabolic flexibility, being able to use multiple energy systems or I'm sorry, uh, energy uh, sources, fat, carbs, stuff like that um, throughout a cardio session. Lifting, you're primarily going to use carbs the whole time and you should because that's going to help you perform better. And you're not consistently moving the whole time. You're doing set, waiting, doing another set. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's the same. Um, the other thing to think about is adherence too. a lot of this is just burning calories too. So if somebody's going to struggle to do 60 minutes straight, cause they don't have that much time, I probably wouldn't even do 20 minute breaks like breakups. I would just do step count because if we know that w- we have to get past that 30 to 40 minute marker to really start seeing significant results, results from that one cardio session, um, which for some people splitting hairs, but for somebody who maybe has 10 pounds or less to lose, I think it's worthwhile. Um, I would probably just do step count because 20 minutes isn't that long anyway. I would, instead of doing that, I'd be like, all right, well, let's say you can Google search this. I don't know what it is, but how many steps do you get in 20 minutes on average? Increase their step count by that much mm. every day. And it, it could be a bunch of five minute walks, could be two 10 minute walks. They could go on a 20 minute walk every day. Who gives a shit? As long as they hit their steps, that's all that matters. Totally. Um, it's easier to track. Um, it's easier to manage. Um, yeah. Damn. That's probably what that's a good way to break it down. 
All right, cool. We'll go to this next one. It says, it's from Jonathan Miller. It says, what's the standard squat depth? In almost every squat video I see, they go past parallel, but I was told that going to parallel is a good enough squat. Should I not count my squats if I'm purposely not going ass to grass? Define good enough. You know, what's your goal? I think, for example, um, a, a box squat is, is a parallel squat. It's a 90-degree squat. You know, you're not going past parallel there. You stop at a box. Now, if you were an athlete, I'd probably do more. I would do full range ass to grass squats in your warm up or as an accessory lift with like a kettlebell for like a gop squat. I'm not overloading the system. I'm not doing anything besides showing you and showing myself that you have a full range of motion. You have good functionality. If you have a trouble getting ass to grass with a kettlebell and you're an athlete, we got a problem. We got to work on mobility and flexibility because you should be able to squat deep with a single little kettlebell in your hands. Um, but if I know that you are a basketball player and I want to improve your strength for jumping and your force production, why would I squat ass to grass? Nobody does that on the court. You never see anybody. It's not applicable. It's not applicable. Yeah, you go up for like a dunk or a rebound, you stop, squat all the way to your ass hits your heels, and then you jump up. Like you'd get swatted. You spend so much time squatting before you jump. Um, I've been doing this for a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you think of a lineman you know, when they're in that like lineman position, or even if you're a running back or quarterback, anybody, you're in that athletic stance, yeah. your, your knees are in a 90 degree flexion. You're not like, <laughs> you're not like sitting on the floor, yeah. you know, like squatted down. You're in a 90 degree flexion. You're in a, like a three point stance, obviously leaning forward, touching the ground. But now I'm thinking, okay, if I can produce more force through the floor with my legs at a 90 degree position, that's sports specific. This is where people do weird shit being sports specific. It's unnecessary. Good example. LeBron was doing a fucking squat on a Swiss ball. What? That is so stupid. Granted, he didn't have a bar on his back. Thank yeah. God. I wish I would have shared it on my story. I didn't. Um, one of my friends, Craig, Craig Beatty, sent it to me. No, it was on his story, so it was gone. Oh. He's by himself, so obviously his trainer was having him do this. He's filming himself, and he was in a squat rack, so the mirror was right behind him. And I'm like, dude, if you slip and hit your head, break your ankle, you're a billion-dollar athlete. Yeah. Gone. Because you're like, what, what application does that have? Number one, the court doesn't do this and wave like Ooh, while you're running. Number two, like you're again, he's squatting ass grass. Now, granted, like if he wasn't a basketball player, I'd be like, damn, dude, that's impressive. I can't do that. And if you hurt yourself doing it, well, I mean, shit, that sucks. Yeah. But, you know, no big deal. He's it's not, not, he's it's not, not your career or anything. He's not slipping. Come on, bro. <laughs> anybody could slip on that. Yeah. Like literally anybody. You know what I mean? Because he, he, like, Something weird could have happened. Like the rack could have been like loose and like the plate holder could have like fell and hit the ball. You know what I mean? Anything mm -hmm. could have happened. Um, I know you love LeBron, so you don't think athletically he would have messed it up, but <laughs> anything could have happened. His dog could have in the, came in the room and barked at him. Doesn't have a dog. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he has no distractions <laughs> in his life. <laughs> no, um, I know. Very bad idea. But it's, uh, but it's like that too. It's like it's that like box squat is much more sports specific, you know, speed box squat, throw some bands on there. Cool. Even better. Um, so it depends what you want, man. Now, if you're like, man, what I really care about is hypertrophy. I want to build my legs. Full range of motion matters because there's study after study after study showing a, a, a fuller range of motion leads to more hypertrophy. And the reason for that is pretty simple. Every muscle during every rep goes through a full stretch shortening cycle where we take our muscle through its full lengthened position. So we're stretching the quad by going into complete knee flexion and then we're contracting it by shortening the muscle and squeezing our quad and locking out our knee. So if we cut that range in half, even if we have a heavier load, which has been shown, even if load or volume isn't matched, 
lesser range of motion is not going to lead to more growth. So yeah. if your goal is hypertrophy, that. If your goal is just functionality, I would still say full range of motion because you should be able to do that. Um, so it's more specifically why you would not do it. Exactly. It's the goal, right? Um, if you're a power lifter, I think both matter because you're going to want to train the squat in different ranges because it depends on where your weak point is. But when you go to step on that platform and compete, you have to accomplish a full range of motion because that's what you get graded on. So um, it really depends on your goal. I don't think anything doesn't count. It's like, what is your intention behind it? You know, um, I do partials at times for certain reasons and it's not like, oh, that doesn't count. It's partial. It's like, no, I'm purposely doing this partial. So it definitely counts. It's my intention. So I think it depends on that. Um, and yeah, and then there's of course the people that like you want to do full range of motion, but you have a fucked up back. Yeah. You shouldn't do full range of motion yet. You should do the range that you can accomplish while working on ankle mobility, calf flexibility, hamstring flexibility, knee flexibility, hip flexor flexibility, um, working on hip mobility, thoracic mobility, whatever you, you have as a weak point for your joints or muscles. In order to accomplish that range of motion, you should start working on that until you get there. Totally. You know? So that would be my answer. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, but if you can squat with the full range of motion, I would say like if you have nothing holding you back from doing yeah. so and it's not a sport specific conversation, yeah, I think full range of motion would be the way to go. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Um, we will go to the next one, which is Michelle Mason says, I have a question for coaches who listen. One thing I'm struggling with recently is that I, a lot of my clients seem to be battle mental health, depression, and burnout symptoms. As a coach, how do you prevent yourself from taking that energy on? Sometimes my empathy gets the best, best of me. I'm finding myself get burned out and overwhelmed easier as a result of being around it so often. I wonder if she was asking the coaches in the group to chime in. Because hmm. it sounded like she wants to hear from all the coaches listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, or she wants, just worried she wants to know how you would do it. I think there's a few things here. Number one, experience. So as you get more experience in coaching, you begin to understand that this is just part of the coaching lifestyle. You know, And I think that you begin to place less weight on your own shoulders for the problems of others. You kind of learn how to turn it off uh, because, you know, when you're on that call, when you're in that email, when you're talking to the person, when you're helping the client, you are 100% engaged. And if you don't have that empathy, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. But if you let it eat at you while you're not coaching, it just tears you apart. Totally. You know, and now you're in an unhappy, unhealthy position mentally because you're taking on the burdens of everybody else. So by no means do I mean you just ignore this or don't think about it. I think that change, if, if you are a, a great coach, that's just in your nature. So you can't, you can't just change who you are, but as you begin to coach, you, you learn how to turn it off. You learn how to minimize it, um, compartmentalize, there I think is go. what people say, you know, and, and I think you do get better at it. It never goes away completely, but you get better at it for sure. Um, I also think as you get better at coaching, you learn how to one, refer out. So if somebody is over the top with something serious like depression, you know when to say, hey, like I think you should seek out a therapist and you have confidence doing so. So you take that burden off of you, not because you don't care, but because you know you're not qualified for that, right? Um, it's also something that is, as you get more of it, you begin to realize how important it is and you start to begin to study and read on it so that you can better help people. Because there's a lot of people that I think are in the middle ground of they are experiencing these symptoms, but they don't need a therapist, a psychotherapist, or, or anything like that to that degree yet. 
Um, and sometimes you can get involved and say, hey, read this book. Hey, journal like this. Hey, let's get on calls and talk it out because they just need somebody who understands or a voice to talk to because they don't have that in their family or friend group, right? So you do get better at that. You understand what to send them, stuff like that. Um, it's also smart to study this stuff. How do you talk to these kind of people going through these things? Uh, it's why we study psychology a lot. It's why one of our coaches is getting her master's in psychology. It's why Brandon researches uh, psychology stuff all the time and presents it to coaches. The, the education that's actually happening today as we record this with the team because we do these every single month um, is actually on body dysmorphia body image the psychology of a client going through a fat loss phase stuff like that so actually to looking at the research looking at therapy stuff like that how do we how do we uh interpret this communicate through this even better mm -hmm. right um, because if we can avoid referring out then we will because obviously we don't want people to have to spend more and more money especially yeah. some people get referred out and they're like i don't i didn't need the therapist right i just needed somebody to listen Perfect. Let's get on a fucking call. And I'm just going to shut up and let you talk, man. Get it out, you know? Sometimes that's what people need because nobody else in their life will hear them. Um, but I think, I think experience pays off. I think you just begin to get used to it and stuff like that. Um, and, then I, and then the last thing I think is I think it is important to have somebody in your life who, whether you pay them or not, can be that for you. You know what I mean? Because I think as a coach, your job is quite literally – uh, giving energy to everybody, you know, like people need your energy. People need your feedback. People need your advice. They need to communicate to you. They need to, they need your empathy. And a lot of times people, coaches will go home and then they don't have that, you know, like, well, fuck now what do I do? Mm -hmm. You know? So I think, uh, being open about that with the people around you is helpful because I know for even for me, because I've shared that with Shannon is like, man, like my job is to like pour my energy into everybody on top of being a dad and husband. So every once in a while, I just need her to listen to me, bitch, and just like, you know, talk to me because I'm like, I don't need advice necessarily. I just need to get it out, you mm -hmm. know, because I don't totally. have anybody to pour my energy into. Um, and that's also why I have Andreas. You know, I hire somebody who I can talk to, who gets it, who has been there, who can talk to me, and I can voice what I'm going through because we all need that. It's accountability. It's mentoring. It's the same thing your clients hire you for and, and want to talk to you about, you need that too. Because if you're just taking it all in and you never have anywhere to pour your own energy out, you're, you're just going to bottle up and burn up. Yeah. I mean, simple as that. It is. I love it. All right. That's the last one for the day. So uh, do you have any announcements to end it off with? No. <laughs> uh, like I said, go check out bylegion.com slash boom boom to check out our sponsor of these Q&As. If you like the show, as always, leave us a five-star rating and review. They really help. Um keep sending us your questions. We've got a lot of great questions. You can click the link in the show notes to ask me a question directly in the form, or you can join the Facebook group. Um, it's the Tailored Life Podcast group. You can find that link in the description as well. Uh, we go in there every week. We're answering questions in there. We're taking questions from there. So make sure you jump in the group. Um, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Share this with a friend, and we will catch you next time.